welcome to day number six of 31 Days of Terror. To kick things off this week, I need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Rihanna Best, Laura Miller, Dylan, Snizzlebigs, Nicola Smith, Jude Jetson, Alyssa, Heidi Gray, Sarah LCB, Armina Stefanians, Kay, Angela, Miriam, Christina Everhart, Natalie Cochran, Holly Adams, Lorenzo Chavez, Malia Price, Timothy Nail, and Suzanne Mass. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. I appreciate you every single day. And I have seven listener stories for you today. And story number one comes from Matthew. From the age of 16 to 22, I was a waiter in an old stately home called Eastwell Manor. The manor house itself dates back to the 16th century and is of great historical significance. Queen Victoria's great-granddaughter lived there and it is also the burial place for Richard III's illegitimate son. As you can imagine, given its age and its placement deep in the Kent countryside, it is not short of ghost stories. One such ghost is that of a horseman, often seen riding up the driveway to the house itself before heading off suddenly and disappearing into the lake. Another is that of a white lady, often seen roaming the cellars. In my six years of employment, I can't say I witnessed anything as substantial as that. However, strange activity was a regular occurrence, events that could only be described as abnormal. This is the story of one such event. My best friend and I used to work in the restaurant in a building separate from the main house. As we were the eldest of the waiting staff, we often did the late shifts together. We were working a late shift together one night, no different from any other night. And that was until about midnight. All of the customers had gone home and we were setting up the restaurant for the morning shift. Polishing plates, sorting out the money, etc. We were standing at the counter in the restaurant just having a laugh chatting about music, when behind us we could hear noises coming from behind the kitchen door. We knew for a fact that we were the only ones in the entire manor. We soon realised that the noises were voices. We initially thought maybe the chefs had forgotten something and they'd popped back. We went to investigate and we soon discovered that no one was in there. The doors were locked and the lights were off. The noise was coming from the TV, which had seemingly turned on by itself. A bit spooked, we went back to the restaurant. We stood in the middle of the room and just so happened to look out of the glass doors into the reception area. Past the reception area was a dark corridor that led to another set of glass doors that led outside. We soon realised that these glass doors were opening and closing by themselves. They were automatic doors that worked using a sensor. Therefore, they only opened if someone was standing in front of them. And as you can imagine, nobody was there. Feeling very scared at this point, we rushed our jobs and left to go home. Driving out of the car park, we had to drive down the driveway, which passed back in front of the building we had just left. Knowing full well that we had locked everything and turned all the lights off in the restaurant, We both looked up to the building to see that the lights were back on. Now logically thinking it may have been an electrical fault. However, the building had not that long since been refurbished and no faults had been reported prior or after the incident. 
And story number two comes from Joe. I used to work in a call centre, in which the majority of the time we took back-to-back calls, barely having time to socialise with each other. But during the night shift, the amount of calls would reduce, giving us time to talk about whatever we wanted. One night when I was ending my shift, my co-workers and I decided to talk about paranormal experiences in which I shared a few of mine. Suddenly, an old lady that worked with us turned around after ending a call and joined in. Now, it was really shocking for all of us that she decided to join us on such a deep topic since we all considered her so sweet, almost like a grandmother figure. Anyway, she proceeded to share the following story of a friend of hers. This man used to work in the entrance of a gated community as a security guard. As we know, some gated communities have a sort of office in the entrance, where inside a guard can see and attend to visitors, allowing them entrance to the gated community by calling the house number and informing the resident. You know the drill. One afternoon, after a couple of months working there during his shift, he heard someone pounding on the door hysterically. He opened the door and there he saw a little girl in a white dress, soaking wet as if she was out in the rain. But it wasn't raining. He brought the girl inside who was crying inconsolably and sat her down in his chair. He then asked her, Sweetie, what happened? Why are you so wet? And the girl told him, I'm scared. I want to go home. I want my mommy and daddy. He asked the little girl what number house she lived in, and with no hesitation, the little girl told him the house number. He left the girl in the chair while he frantically called the house. Suddenly, a lady answered the phone, and he told her that he had a little girl there soaking wet, crying and begging for her parents, and I believe she might be her daughter. The lady started to scream down the phone. The security guard could hear her crying, and she let the phone drop. And then he heard a man pick it up, who turned out to be her husband. He was asking, what's happening? Who is this? So once again, the security guard explained all of the details of the little girl, thinking he had found their daughter. Then the husband took a few deep breaths and said, this can't be happening. This isn't possible. And he proceeded to explain, I'm so sorry, but the reason why my wife reacted in such a shocking way is because just last year, our daughter fell into our backyard pool and drowned. The security guard felt his whole body go numb and started to shiver. And when he turned around to see the little girl, nobody was there. Needless to say, that was his last day working there. And story number three comes from Jim. This was on Halloween about five years ago. We lived on a cul-de-sac with one streetlight at the head of the street, so it was pretty dark at night. Because it's not on a through street, in fact, it's two streets away from a through street, there was no traffic save for the neighbours. The subdivision is about 35 years old, with most of the residents being the first in the house, so there were virtually no children. We would typically get around 10 trick-or-treaters, half of whom we knew because they were the grandkids of the neighbours. It was going on 9 o'clock, and we hadn't had a trick-or-treater in about 15 minutes, so I looked out the front window and seeing no one in sight, I turned the light off. I was carrying the candy bowl back to the kitchen when the doorbell rang. I went back to the door, turned the porch light back on and opened the door. 
Standing there was the most adorable little Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. She was a little girl of about 10 and her mother must have been a makeup artist because she was just a clone of the character. All the way down to the dress and the pigtails and the full face of makeup, very theatrical looking. The most unusual thing about her though were her eyes. They were really, really blue. Add this to the fact that unlike most kids that age, she had no problem maintaining eye contact with an adult. Most kids will say, A, trick or treat, B, look at the candy bowl, C, accept the handout, D, say a thank you while in the process of turning to leave. Not this girl. The entire time she locked eyes with me, making me feel weirdly uncomfortable. I finally said happy Halloween, smiled and began to close the door and only then did she look away and turn to leave. I was headed back to the kitchen when it occurred to me that there had been something else odd about the encounter. Unless they're a bit older or in groups, almost without exception, parents will walk with their kids, standing at the street while the little ones ring the doorbells. This girl was alone. There was nobody on the street and there were no other kids. I decided to have a look down the block, to see if she was perhaps ahead of her folks or part of a group that had gone before her or who had not come to the house yet. I looked to the street and saw no one and went outside. Looking up and down the dark street, I at least wanted to compliment the parent who went to so much trouble to dress their kid in such a great costume, but there was nobody. I walked down the sidewalk, far enough to see down the block. There was absolutely nobody there. I had thought it was odd with the fear that many parents have of leaving their kids alone to wander the streets, that there had been no parents present. But there just wasn't anybody. Also, by now the porch lights had all gone out down the street as people closed up shop. She was nowhere to be seen. There simply hadn't been enough time for her to get far enough away in either direction to not be seen. I waited for a few moments to see if there was any movement around, but there was none. On ensuing Halloween nights, I'd always wonder if I would see Dorothy again, but she never came back. We since moved out of the house, but I have a mental image of her lodged in my brain, and I began to wonder if she had ever been there at all. And story number four comes from David. When I was around four or five, when I lived in New Mexico, my parents would often take me to bars. It was the 70s. One of the places they went to a few times was the Lodge at Cloudcroft in Cloudcroft, New Mexico. While my parents were doing adult things with their friends in the bar, I explored the hotel. It did not take me long to recognise the places I did not want to go because they felt wrong. It also did not take me long to realise as I explored the hotel that someone was messing with me. I never saw her but I heard her feet running, smelled her perfume, and sometimes I heard her giggle. The lodge is haunted by a beautiful redhead named Rebecca. The story back then was that she was a chambermaid in the early days of the hotel and was involved with a lumberjack with a mean streak, and Rebecca began an affair with a banker or a railroad magnate. The lumberjack found out and chopped Rebecca to pieces. I believe they never found her body, One time when we went back to the lodge I fell down the stairs in one of the wings of the hotel far away from the bar. I was a little dazed but heard a very soothing woman's voice saying Your mother is coming. 
I felt a cool, soft touch on my forehead and turned to see my mother running towards me. We never went back after that, but many years later, my girlfriend Holly and I travelled to the lodge for a weekend. My girlfriend was a beautiful redhead. We settled into the hotel and prepared for dinner. Holly did her hair and makeup just like the painting of Rebecca that hung in the hotel. We had a lovely dinner and began to settle in for the night. Our room was on the floor of the main balcony, which looked over the lobby in a corner room with a little vestibule where our door was. As we lay in each other's arms, Holly suddenly tensed up and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. There was a sound on the balcony, which at first sounded like some drunk fumbling with his keys trying to get into his room. But the sound began to gain an intensity and there was the sound of something heavy being lifted up and slammed back down and what oddly sounded like drawers being opened and slammed shut. And then the sound stopped. But Holly and I tensed up more tightly and I felt the heat that I would get in nightmares and in haunted places. We could hear distinctly the sound of skirts rubbing against the walls of our vestibule. We looked, terrified that it would come into our room. We saw a shadow block out the light under our door and then move off again, followed by the sound of cloth on the vestibule walls. Eventually we drifted off to sleep, but were woken periodically in the night by skirts on the walls and the light under the door being blocked by a shadow and then skirts on the wall again. The next morning I went out to the balcony to determine what the sounds that I heard were. There was an antique chest of drawers with three drawers. On the drawers were handles, which made the same noise we heard that sounded like keys. But it was almost impossible to create the racket that we heard at its peak. I tried to lift the chest, but it was too heavy for just one person to lift and drop it down again. The drawers were too stuffed with hotel towels to open easily. Rebecca is seen quite often at the lodge, but I believe she knew me and was not pleased with Holly stealing her look. And story number five comes from Brooke. I lived in a small town just next to the Navajo Reservation. While I wasn't raised traditional, I did know of some traditions, and that came with some knowledge of what the Native Americans called skinwalkers. They're said to be shapeshifters of medicine men gone bad, with the ability to turn into or disguise themselves as animals. They're considered to be volatile and dangerous. I've never been a believer in such. I'm more of a, I'll believe it when I see it. It was the summer of 2007, and I was around 17 or 18 years old. My then boyfriend at the time and I would hang out in the evenings on the golf course, drinking, smoking, you know, like teenagers do. Being in such a small town, there wasn't really a lot to entertain us. We always went to a particular spot. It was a fairly large hill where the houses behind the golf course were no longer visible, and far enough away that the cars below weren't able to see us either. It was just the two of us and we were gathering all of our stuff to leave when we heard what sounded like a dog barking and crying at the same time. I've been around dogs my whole life and I'd never heard a dog make that noise before. We stopped and tried to see in the dark where it was coming from. The moon was out so it was pretty well illuminated. In the distance, in a large desert area surrounded with bushes and brush, around 600 feet away, we could see what looked like the outline of a very large four-legged animal and it was running towards us. It barked and cried again and was sprinting towards us and literally within a matter of seconds this creature was less than 20 feet from us. 
It was tall and extremely hairy. It reminded me of the werewolves that I've seen in movies. There is no animal I've ever encountered that could move that fast in so little time. My boyfriend shouted at the animal, telling it to get out of here. And poof, it was gone. It didn't run away. It didn't stop and turn around. It had just disappeared literally into thin air. We ran back to the car and sped away, wondering what it was. We told a few close friends of ours, and we had gone back after to see if it would happen again, and it never did. He and I broke up a few years later and no longer keep in contact, but I've always wondered if he remembers, and if it was a skinwalker, or some sort of shapeshifter. I've always wondered what would have happened if it had gotten to us, and what it would have done. Thankfully, I'll never know. And story number six comes from Suzanne. In the fall of 1992, my husband and I had just moved into our first home. It was a new build in a neighbourhood that was still mostly under construction. Empty lots with partially built homes surrounded us on all sides, and the rear of our property backed up onto an incomplete park and playground. My husband travelled for work and was away several nights of the week. Our new home had large windows with no coverings, because that wasn't in the budget yet. So at night, there was nothing but darkness pressing in, and only my reflection in the window could be seen. One night, after we'd been living there for a few weeks, I was alone and started my usual routine for bed. I showered and then wrapped in towels, and I stood at the sink brushing my teeth. I bent down to rinse my mouth and then stood up. Strangely, I couldn't find the cap for the toothpaste. I looked all over the counter and the floor, but no luck. It was gone. I stood, confused for a few moments, when all of a sudden something small hit my back and bounced off my shoulder, then launched into the sink. It was the toothpaste cap. It had appeared out of nowhere, and somehow had been tossed at my body. I froze, and I looked around, but the house was eerily quiet. The windows held back the dark and reflected only my frightened face. The neighbourhood was deathly quiet and when I pressed my face to the windows, vague shadows of bulldozers and partially framed houses were the only things that could be discerned in the darkness. I shrugged it off and somehow went to sleep. The next night I was still alone and followed the same routine to get ready for bed. Again, the same thing happened. Toothpaste out, brushed my teeth, Finish. Cap is gone. Within seconds I heard the sound of something small hitting the floor. I turned and there it was. The toothpaste cap was on the floor behind me. I can't tell you how freaked out I was. It was so bizarre. A few days went by. My husband returned from his trip and all was normal. I didn't mention the whole toothpaste cap incident and in the cold light of day it seemed like such a silly thing. Later in the week... I was all alone again. My husband was away, and the neighbourhood was just as empty as before. I had finally gotten around to tacking up some second-hand sheets to the windows to provide a little privacy, from nobody except the dark, when it happened again. The shower, the toothpaste, the cap missing. Only this time, it hit me in the face. The cap came out of nowhere. It brushed across my eye. I froze. Then I got mad. I decided that if there was something haunting me in my brand new and first home, 
I was already over it. I grabbed some liquor. I think it was Bacardi. We were broke and rum was the only thing on hand besides some Coors Light, which I will not touch. I had a shot and went round the house in my bathrobe shouting, This is my house. Get the fuck out. Emboldened by the liquor and the righteous anger, I fell asleep and all was well. Until the next night. Usual routine, shower before bed, wrapping towels, brush teeth and damn it, the cap was gone again. But because I had so triumphantly vanquished any spirits the night before, I was no longer scared but pissed. So as I stood up from the sink, mad as hell and silently dared the ghost to show itself, I stood stock still and looked in the mirror in front of me. I saw nothing behind me, not to my right or to my left. But then I saw it. In the towel wrapped around my wet hair, above my forehead, was the cap to the toothpaste, stuck in the folds. The cap proceeded to then fall out of the folds and strike my shoulder and land in the sink. I then realised that each time when I had bent down to rinse my mouth, the cap resting beside the sink had gotten stuck in the towel on my head and only dislodged in my frantic searching for it. I am thinking that some men will never understand this story because of their inability to successfully achieve the towel head wrap. We lived happily in that house for many years, had some fabulous neighbours eventually, many picnics in the park, and the only ghost we ever may have had was that of our old dog who passed away there in 1998. We occasionally heard her tags gently jangling through the house and the faint crunch of kibble, and we slept better, knowing we had her loving little spirit with us. And story number seven comes from Monica. My first story is from my boyfriend's mom. She told me about the time her and some friends decided to play with a Ouija board. She didn't go into too much detail, but they sat in a circle and I believe they said something along the lines of, is there a spirit in the room? And then all of a sudden all the shutters in the room burst open and they screamed and never played with that again. And the next couple of stories are from my boyfriend. When he was younger, his bed faced the bedroom door and if the doors were open he could see straight into his mom's room. He had a straight shot of her bed, where her head would go, but she didn't face him. He could see her as she lay on her side. One night he was laying in bed, and he saw this dark shadow man walk up to his mom, and it looked like he was trying to touch her, so he ran into the room and turned the light on, and nothing is there. She wakes up annoyed and tells him to go back to bed. When he gets back into bed, he saw the same shadow man and he ran back and turned the lights back on and it was gone again. He told her what he saw and she told him that was probably just some relative, stop waking me up, which I thought was hilarious. His other story was years later after we were dating and he was now in a different room of the house. It was at least 2 or 3 a.m. while he was playing video games. I was in my house sleeping and I got a phone call from him. He said... I was playing video games and all of a sudden my belt that was hanging in my closet lifted up into the air and then just dropped. I turned the game off. Maybe I was just playing for too long. Or your room is haunted, I said to him. I am terrified of dolls. It started when I was around six or seven. My parents told me to come and watch this movie with them so I sat on the floor in front of the TV. 
There was a little boy on a tricycle and then in the blink of an eye, I learned who Chucky was because there he was killing someone. My parents thought it was the funniest thing and I've been terrified ever since. I can still hear them laughing as I ran away. A year or so later, my sister got an American Girl doll. They have really freaky lifelike dolls that open and close their eyes when you lay them down or stand them up. I was convinced that this thing would open its eyes when it was on its back. Since we shared a room, I made her put it in the closet at night because I just couldn't handle it. I also stabbed it in the face with a pen and let's just say my mom was not happy because they aren't cheap. So she had to be bought a new one. But I did tell my mom that it was her fault for making me that way. Anyway, years later after my parents divorced, we lived at my grandparents. My sister had moved out and I came home late one night. As I turned on the lights, this goddamn American girl was sitting on my bed and I just ran out of the room. A few nights later, I came home, opened my drawer... And there was that doll again, just laying in there. And I jumped two feet in the air. Fast forward a few weeks. I was changing to go throw my clothes into the hamper. And that doll is just sitting there and I let out a scream. The whole time it was my mom putting it in different places to scare the crap out of me. And every time I would go and throw it in her room and she'd be sitting there cracking up. Just like that fateful day back when she traumatised me with Chucky all those years ago. Thank you so much for listening to today's stories. Thank you to Matthew, Joe, Jim, David, Brooke, Suzanne and Monica for sending in your stories. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow.